some years ago, I, uh, I read an article, and it was, <clears throat> it was of one of the strangest uh, races that I had ever heard of. Um, it was, first of all, it was an article about a, about a bike race, and the first thing that made it strange was the bike race was, um, was only 20 yards long. So, so how, do you, how, do you, how do you race a bike, right, for 20 yards? And then the second thing that was crazy about this race was that the winner was not the one who crossed the line first, y'all. It was the one who crossed the line last. And, uh, you know, none of us ever learn to ride our bikes by trying to ride it as slow as we can. Uh, you get on it, and you get, get up some speed to go. And none of us ever, you know, in our neighborhood at least, I don't know, no one's going to jump on the bike and go, hey, last one to the pool wins. That's not the way that... It goes. They're called uh, slow bike races. They're hilarious to watch because people kind of go as slow as they can going down to the finish line. Um, now, what does it have to do with our text? Well, I, in the same way that a slow bike race, literally, what does it do? It turns upside down the rules of a, a, of a bike race. Jesus, in our text today, turns upside down the rules of life, what I might, you know, call, what does it mean to win in life? Well, he just absolutely flips it on its head. Uh, the answer, he answers these question, this question like, okay, how, how do I live a life that matters? Well, Jesus' answer is not what we've all been brought up to believe and most certainly not what our culture encourages us to do. His answer shocked and shook the disciples some 2,000 years ago. And I, I trust in God's providence that it's exactly what you and I need today. Now, I know what you're thinking. And I know I made some of you awkwardly uncomfortable that you go, oh my, he's doing what he did three weeks ago. Does he know that he just did that illustration? Oh. I can see your faces. It's just funny. Just, I'm trying to stay in it while I'm watching you go. Uh, I did. That's an introduction I did three weeks ago in chapter 9, verses 30 through 50. I'm capable of doing it unintentionally, but this was absolutely intentional. Why would I do that again? Well, because it's Groundhog Day. And we're stuck in a loop. On Groundhog Day. I'm referring to the classic movie, you remember. Um, Bill Murray gets up, stuck living the same day over and over and over. So when we pick up our text today, by the way, it's chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. I got you, babe, is playing on the radio. And we get up and we do the same thing all over again. I'm, honestly, it's eerily familiar. It's just spooky, quite frankly, that it's like, wait, we just did this three weeks. They, they just did this, and they're doing it again. What do I mean by that? Chapter 9, verses 30 through 50. It's actually the second time they did it. Chapter 9, 30 through 50, here's, here's what happens. Jesus says, I'm going to die and rise again three days later. The disciples go, hey, which one of us is going to be the greatest? <laughs> Jesus overhears it. He says, guys, sit down. Look, if you want to be great, you're going to be the servant of all. If you're going to be first, you're going to be last. That's, 
That's several weeks ago in historical time. And now we come to chapter 10. We're in verse 32 to 45. And let me tell you exactly what happens here. Jesus says, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. Two of his disciples come up and go, hey, we would like to have the best seats when you come into power. The other guys hear about it, get mad. Just come here, come here, sit down. Let me say it one more time. If you want to be first, you're going to be last. And if you're going to be great, you're going to be the servant of all. Now, it's somewhat funny, but it's the truth of what happened. And so we have to ask, what is so important that, that they would relive it over and over and over again? Clearly something matters Jesus wants them to get. And clearly it's something you and I need to get as well. That's what we're going to find out as we take apart this final Groundhog Day loop in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Let me give you the way we'll go through this. It's got three parts because there are three paragraphs. The first paragraph I'm going to title, Jesus is Determined to Die. Jesus is determined to die. That's verses 32 to 34. And then we're going to see 35 to 40 is the disciples are determined to live. It's just a juxtaposition. Jesus is determined to die, and in the same energy, the disciples are determined to not, to live. And then most importantly, quite frankly, verses 41 to 45, we'll find out why dying is the only way to live. Okay? Three parts to the message. Now, because it's familiar territory, and I mean this, we've been through this before. I'm going to move rather quickly through the first part because the last part, there's something different. And that's the part we want to pay attention to. Let's start with 32 to 34. Jesus is determined to die. Pick up God's word to us today, chapter 10, verse 32. There were on the, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem geographically even. Jesus was walking on ahead of them. Very traditional rabbinic way they did it. The rabbis in front, the disciples track along behind. And they were amazed and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Here's the rerun. Saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered, handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. We, we know that. He said it already twice, specifically. Now, the Jews could not execute capital punishment. So they, he's condemned to death, but the Jews can't kill him. So, note it says, and they will con condemn him and they, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. So this is why he gets handed over to the Romans, because the Romans can kill him. Which is exactly what they do. 34, they will mock him. This is new. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Y'all, when Jesus spoke of his dying, it's like the selective listening just kicked on. Uh, you know, I know I'm terrible about this. You know, I could be watching something, especially or listening to radio, and my kids are talking to me. They say, Dad, you get in a zone, and it's like you can't hear us. And I go, well, I'm listening to the other thing. But we get this selective listening going, and when he starts talking, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, it, it just, they can't get it. 
And what they selectively hear is, and they picture because he is their Messiah, they bypass the death, the cross, and they kind of go around the cross over here to the kingdom and start going, I want to be great in the kingdom. When he comes in the kingdom, I'd love to have these seats. See? So they bypass the cross. It's bypassing suffering to get to glory. And if we know anything about this book and about this man, and about this Christian life, you cannot separate suffering from glory. There is no life, I'll say it this way, apart from death. You cannot separate. Now, as intent as he is upon dying, the disciples are determined to live. We'll have none of that. Notice what happens in verse 35. And by the way, when you read it in its entirety, it just kind of smacks up against you when you realize Jesus has just poured out his soul. And then they, verse 35, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Bypass the cross in your glory. We want these roles of, of great position but jesus said to them you do not know what you are asking <coughs> excuse me are you able to drink the cup that i drink or be baptized with the baptism with which i am baptized they said to him we are able and jesus said to them the cup that i drink you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which i am baptized but to sit on my right or on my left this is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. James and John basically say to Jesus, if I can put it in our vernacular, Jesus, when you become president, would you make me and, and John the chief of staff and the secretary of state? That's literally what they're asking. They're asking for places of power. I don't want you to miss this because I don't want us to like, throw them under the bus. How about this? They know there's going to be a kingdom. And Jesus doesn't deny it. So don't, don't miss the, 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 that's wonderful. Um, I, I'm shocked, though, at their situational awareness, aren't you? Jesus has just done this, and then they just kind of, they just step on his heart. It'd be like me coming home to Lisa and going, honey, I, I just saw Burton and the doctor, and uh, I, I'm, I've got less than a month to live. And Lisa said, would you make sure you have enough insurance that I can get that beach house that I've always wanted? <laughs> And I go, well, I just told you I'm going to die, and you want to, and this is what they do. It's amazing. I am, I'm shocked at Jesus' patience. Are you, aren't you shocked at that? That he just says, what do you want? And I don't want to, I'm going to be rushed for time, but I want to say this, because I want you to know this. I don't care if you're bringing something to Jesus for the 999th time. I don't care if what you're bringing to Jesus you bring with great shame and fear. I don't care. Whatever you bring to Jesus, can I tell you his posture towards you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? This is the heart of Christ. Always remember his response to James and John as they came. Well, the cup and the baptism are basically the same thing. Thing. It's describing the same thing. And that's the ordeal of the cross and all that it entails. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, take this cup from me. What is he describing? Well, in the Old Testament, when the people were judged, they would, they would, the psalmist would describe it, or Jeremiah as well would describe it as, you're going to drink the cup of God's wrath. The enemies of God are going to drink the wrath of God. They're going to swallow that. And Jesus... You see, at Gethsemane, he's getting ready to drink, literally swallow, take on 
the wrath of a holy God against the sin of humanity. So he says, take the cup from me. The baptism, by the way, has nothing to do with the baptisms Brian mentioned that we will do, where you are declaring your faith in Christ, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. has nothing to do with that or, or, or water, per se, in that way. But it does have to do with baptizo, which means immerse or sub submerge or immerse. Jesus is getting ready to be overwhelmed by, and the psalmist used this often, the floods overwhelmed me. Uh, Jesus is getting to be ready to be baptized by a tremendous ordeal of suffering and pain and horror and loss. That's what the cup and the baptism represent. Now, he tells James and John, you will drink the, drink the cup and, and go through the baptism. Not in the same way. We recognize that. They are not the Christ who's dying in our place. But they, by the way, will suffer greatly. James is the first martyr. First martyr of the faith, and John will die in exile on Patmos. I think most of you know this. Now, in the disciples' request, I, I've, I've got to offer this. I think there's a principle, and, and I want to camp for just a moment, if I may. Here's the principle. The, the truth of Christ's cross reveals the foolishness of our hearts. I think we've seen this over and over. The truth of Christ's cross, death, reveals the foolishness of our hearts. When Christ said, I'm going to die, they're going to kill me, what did Peter say when the cross pressed up against Peter? He said, no, no, you're not. No Messiah of mine's going to do that. Uh, hmm, that, was, <laughs> that was foolishness. That was the foolishness of Peter who thought, no, no there's no way Messiah's going to die. Not my Messiah, not with, by Gentiles killing him, etc., and then when Jesus spoke of the cross the next two times, both times, what did they start saying? I wonder how great I'm going to be. Who could be the greatest? Because they thought, you know, death is not greatness. Uh, these powerful seats are greatness. Me being in front of you, I'm sorry, is what makes me great. See, that's where they went. The foolishness of their hearts was exposed when pressed into the truth of the cross. Here's a way I, I think we can think about it. When you find yourself defiantly holding on to something, I can't let that, I've got to have that. I won't. When you find yourself, and we get this way, when you find yourself holding on to something, and it has to do with your self-interest, you know, self-interest at the center of your universe, I want you to stop, pause, and consider, am I, is the cross, is God's invitation for me to let this go, to die to that, is the cross exposing my foolishness that I'm holding on to. I'll never forget uh, some deep foolishness in my heart many, many years ago. It's brought to mind by the message, but also Lisa and I sat with a couple this week. We had, had dinner with uh, Morgan Mitchell and her fiance, Max Brown. I'm going to get to do their, officiate their wedding next weekend. Known Morgan since she was a little girl. Uh, uh, Mickey and Gina Mitchell's daughter, uh, Morgan. And uh, so this kind of got on my mind that over the years, I've, I've hunted a lot with Mickey. We've, we've, we've hunted several different, different times over, over the years. And this is almost, y'all, this is almost 20 years ago. It's like 17, 18 years ago. Uh, I, Mickey invited me on a dove hunt. And um, I hadn't been dove hunting in a long time, though I grew up dove hunting as a, as a child and even here in Tennessee. And uh, in dove hunting, th those of you who, you know, I know I'm, I'm getting about three people right now, including Greg <laughs> on the front row. But, you know, the doves fly, you shoot them, and a lot of times they're not there, and a lot of times they are. Well, I was so excited to go because I hadn't been in a long time, and um, 
I was going to meet uh, uh, Ted Leishner and Bill Howard. We were going to meet at 4.45 in the morning on Friday because we were going to hunt early in the morning. This was like on a Wednesday or so. And Mickey called me and he, and, and he said, I have never seen more dove on the field uh, than at, at, at this place. And um, I'm just like, wow, God, I can't wait to go on this hunt. So on that Thursday... Uh, Lisa was home, and she was uh, uh, making some tea, hot tea. And she took boiling water, and she poured it in uh, your grandmother's, or, yeah, crystal glass pitcher. And it was on the counter, and it exploded. And boiling water and glass hit her thighs. And, uh, you know, we were in a total panic and um, incredible pain and you know, when you cut yourself or something, you know, stop the blood or hold you, you know. But a burn, and, and I know some of you have experienced this, is just traumatically tragic. And Darden was just a, a little little guy, and I think Susan maybe was a baby, because I think we had, we had, we just had one at the time, just Darden? One in three. I don't have to do all this when you're not sitting there. I just kind of go through it. But when she's here, I have to check. I've got to check all the facts. Let me tell the story. <laughs> and so Darden's three and Susan's one. And uh, we get our neighbors to keep them. We, we, in, we, we get to the emergency room. Lisa is about to pass out from pain. It, it'll, it'll take uh, months, um, surgeries uh, for her to, to, you know, to heal even from this, still with scars, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a massive ordeal. And what, what I want to say, though, is can, can I tell you what I was thinking? The whole time. That's what I was thinking. Dang it. I'm not going to go on that hunt. And, uh, it's funny, and it's not. And it's just a picture of my heart in that here's my wife, and this is why I'm here on the planet, and I had something I was trying to hold on to. Now, don't take that to say, gosh, every time I want to do something fun, something comes up. I'm not saying that at all. That was my context, okay? That was my story. And in that moment, I can look back and go, that was, that was the cross of Christ inviting me to serve my wife and my flesh just holding on to some foolishness that, that I needed. I don't know what yours is. I don't know. But I trust the Spirit of God in your life will show you. And when you find yourself going, just stop and go, what, Lord, are you inviting me to die to? Well, the last point is going to make this death and life even clearer. Look at verses 41 to 45. Jesus was determined to die. The disciples, they're, de they're determined not to die, to live. And then Jesus is going to make clear why dying is the only way to live. We'll pick it up in verse 41. Hearing this the ten began feeling indignant with James and John. I love this little note here because you can kind of think, well, at least the ten got their heads on straight. Not. You know, they get mad that, uh, you know, they, they asked for those spots. We wanted them. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. This is, you know, in this world, people have authority and they rule with an iron fist. People have authority and they love the position. They take advantage of the position. That's what he's saying. And it's true in our world today. But it is not this way among you. It's not this way among those who follow me. 
But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now, verse 45 is something new in the Groundhog Day loop. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the third prediction of his death. It's the only time in Mark's gospel that we are told why Jesus died. Ooh, this is really important. Uh, It is the one thing that's different. Verse 45, in all the other days when he says, I'm dying, they want to be great, sit down, let me tell you what greatness is. And then this is added. Um, If you're reading your Bible and you keep reading the same thing and something's repeated... And then something new is on. You stop and you pay attention. That's one of our principles of studying the Bible. This stands out. Verse 45 is the key verse in the whole book. Um, We have landed on the mother load. Uh, Mark is 16 chapters, okay? 16 chapters long. Mark 1045 is a summary of 16 chapters of Mark. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Chapters 1 through 8, the servanthood of Jesus. Jesus the servant. But to give his life a ransom for many. Chapters 9 through 16, the sacrifice of Jesus. There you have it. A servant, the sacrifice, all within this verse. He gave his life a ransom for many. Ransom uh, means to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner. It's lutron is the Greek word. And so it's, it's not like, you know, someone kidnaps someone, we're going to pay the ransom. No, ransom here is to buy the freedom of a slave or a, or a prisoner to set them free. It says a ransom for many. This word for is the Greek word anti, and it means in place of, instead of, substitute for. He gave his life to set the prisoners free. His life, a substitute for those who were prisoners. Now, let me, let me take this apart. Um, why, is, why dying is the only way to truly live? And, and I'm going to speak logically here, I hope. I'm going to speak theologically and biblically. And, and I'm going to ask you to just put your thinking caps on to walk with me through this. Why is dying the only way to live? It's so important. And I realize that what I'm going to say in the next 10 minutes is many of you know. But Jesus keeps repeating it and so will we. Let's start here. Um, There are two kinds of death. Okay? I think this is biblical theology. Two kinds of death. Uh, There's physical death and there is spiritual death. Okay? Physical death and spiritual death. Let's Let's all start here with physical death. Can we all agree... Every person in this room is going to physically die. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, whatever, and me included. And I mean this. Can we all agree? Nod with me. No one escapes physical death. Okay? Now, the Bible teaches it was not always so. I I want us to keep never lose the fact that in the garden, in creation, um, we were made to live forever physically. We were, our body, we were made to live forever with God, okay? Now, it didn't go that way, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's why death is so unnatural. It's why death comes in our world, and we go, ugh, because it's not the way it was meant 
to be. Now, there is also physical, there's spiritual death. Now, the two overlap a bit. Let me help you understand this. In physical death, what happens, according to the Bible, is that your soul, your soul is separated from your body. That's what happens in physical death, according to the Bible. What, what do you mean your soul? Well, that immaterial part of all of us that is who we truly are. The Bible says we have a soul. See, I, I'm not, it's, our, my soul is in my flesh. It's in my body. This is the shell that holds it. But our soul is the essence of who we are. And when we die physically, the soul is removed from the body. And you know what happens to a body that has the soul removed? It deteriorates. It goes away. It dissolves into the ground or into the coffin or whatever it is. That's what happens. But the soul of every human being lives forever. Now, you may have never thought of this. You think, well, some people, I don't know, Christians say they live forever and we don't. No, no, no. Everyone lives forever. Your soul lives forever. The question is, where does your soul live forever? Now, In physical death, the soul is separated from the body. Spiritual death is what happens when your soul leaves your body. If your soul is either with God, call that heaven, or your soul is separated from God forever, we call that hell. It's, it's terrible. Uh, we have talked about that before. Now, again, I want you to keep this wonderful picture in mind. Do you know that all of us were created to live forever physically and spiritually? That's what we were made for, y'all. Not ever to die. To live forever. However, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this is the story on our walls, they chose rebellion. They said, no, God, we're not going to trust what you say. We're going to eat the fruit. In other words, we're going we're to make life without you. We think we can. And in that moment, sin entered the world. And everyone born to Adam and Eve, we're born with sin. What's sin? Well, sin is to miss the mark of perfection. Sin is uh, to, to not be holy. Sin is the, the, the lies we tell, the mistakes we make, the evil. You know, sin is not hitting the mark of God's pure perfection and all of us do things that are sin and the Bible says the wages of sin is death so the Bible says therefore if you if you sin and you have sin and you choose sin then you earn death now think about what we just talked about death you earn separation okay physical death soul separated from the body physical but also spiritual death separation from God. That's what sin earns. It's the wages the Romans tells us we get. Well, all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us earn the wage of death. There's only one person. This is not a tricky question like to sneak up on you. There's only one person who ever lived a sinless life. Who was it? Say it. Jesus lived a sinless life, as the Bible tells us. And therefore, Jesus, because he had no sin... Why did he die? This is logical because it would not be just for God to kill, for death to come upon a sinless human being. And yet he was sinless. The Bible tells us that Jesus died because he took our sin upon himself and bore the wrath of God, the punishment for sin. Are you with me so far? So the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus instead of, instead of, as a substitute 
for you and me. He was buried three days in the grave, and then he rose from the grave. Now, we know that God's wrath was satisfied because Jesus rose from the grave. He had no sin of illness. If Jesus had remained in the grave, that would have been unjust because he had no sin. So Jesus rises from the grave, and Jesus is alive today as he's always been alive. He's alive. He lives. We'll celebrate that on Easter, but it's true every moment of every day for eternity. Jesus lives, and he offers to all of us, he says, if you'll trust that what I did, I did for you, then, then when I died, I actually died for your sins. I, I died for your sin. I paid the whole penalty. You'll never have to pay that penalty. I did it. And we are clothed in his righteousness. Okay. The most important thing in life is the death that you choose while you are still physically alive. I hope you, you get this. The most, the most important thing in this life is the death that you choose while you are physically alive. Because once you are physically dead, the Bible says it's too late, okay? Now, what do I mean by this? The Bible says, everyone looking at me right now, has the opportunity to choose, to trust that what Jesus did, he did for you. He died in my place. I, I believe that. I trust that that's true for me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Faith in what Jesus did. Now, when we trust that, okay, watch. You, you trust what Jesus did, he did for you. But wait a minute, Lloyd. Everyone still dies. Well, yeah, we've already agreed to that. Every, you know, everyone's going to physically die. But for the Christian, physical death, the moment your soul is separated from your body, your soul is in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. And death, you see, for the Christian. I'm not going to overstate this becomes a wonderful door. The best door you'll ever go through. Death, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. That's the good news. Death itself. God has so flipped this crazy thing that death is a gift because through that door, we step into the presence of God Forever and ever and ever. I'm getting way ahead of myself on this, but don't miss this. And one day, our physical bodies will be resurrected and connected back with our souls. That's why these bodies matter. They're not irrelevant at all. And this is good news. And y'all are so silent, I'm wondering if you're even hearing me. Now, I know you're not. But um, so that's the... So, so what death are you going to choose? Are you going to choose that death? Because you can also do this. You can say... I don't believe it. I, you know, you can't, I don't believe Jesus was the Son of God. I, no, I, I know people do. I don't believe that he died on the cross for my sin. Now, gotcha. We all agree everyone's going to die. So if you choose that, when you die and your soul is separated from your body, no one escapes that. Your soul, because, because your sin hasn't been paid for, you still owe the debt, so you get to pay it. What do you mean I get to pay it? Well, you have to pay the penalty. What do you mean? I, 
No, see, now, you, you're, now you're going to be separated from God forever. And you're going to bear the wrath of God against sin forever. Now, this sounds beyond, it is beyond human imagination, but this is what the Bible teaches us. So you've got life to make that choice. Now, when Jesus says dying is the only way to live, he's saying in this life, if you will choose to die with Christ, to accept his death as his death for you, you understand that the Bible says eternal life begins right when you believe that. It's not like after you're dead, eternal life begins right then because now you're in relationship with God forever. The rest of your physical life and then your life forever with him forever. And so Jesus says, choose that, die, choose to die now in me and you live. Do you see that? Well, what does it have to do with serving? And Because all these passages say, man, if you want to, you know, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be last. You're going to be the servant of all. This is so important, so important. You cannot serve your way into eternal life. You cannot put enough people in front of you to earn God's favor. It's not earnable. And so, verse 45 is telling us in flashing lights, you and I must first receive the service of Christ. For Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His greatest act of service, of course, on the cross, but Jesus is serving you right now. The gospel's true for you right now, and we must first receive his service. I hope you're with me on this. We've got to accept that he served me in his life, death, and resurrection. And when I receive that humbly, that why did you serve me? I'm not worthy of being served. Because he loves us. He served us, and we believe it. Then and only then is our service redemptive, good, and right. If you walk out of here going, man, they sure talk about service there a lot. Let's go to Tusculum. We'll do something there. That'll be awesome. And I'm going to serve over here. If you go there apart from faith in the gospel of Christ for you, you are walking into a legalistic bear trap. It'll take you to a dead end. It'll crush you. So why verse 45? In the midst of all these charges to serve, Because it's only when we're resting in Christ's service to us through his life, death, and resurrection, constantly dependent upon that in life, not just at the point of belief, but in a life of belief, then our service flows. And guess whose service it is? It's Christ's service through us. Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about me and it's not about you. This is the message of the cross. Greatness, fulfillment in life is not to the one who crosses the line first, but to one who puts others first, the one who serves, because we have received the service of Christ. Wow, I have gone way over. So we're going to stand up, but I am not going to, uh, I'm going to ask you to not leave because I want you to pause. I, I, we, we, we dare not. We dare not go quickly from here. Because if there's anyone in the room and you've not chosen your death, this is the time to believe. Would you bow your heads?
If you've not chosen that Christ has died for you, if you've not believed that, trusted that, nor trusting it now, this is the time. And you can tell Christ that you trust and believe. He died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty you earned and deserved. He was buried and raised again. This is the good news of the gospel. Believe it. Paul wrote in Galatians 6.14, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the cross of Christ be at the center of your lives, that your boast in life would be His great sacrificial substitutionary death on your behalf, by which He demonstrated His unconditional an unending love for you. May the cross of Christ be your only boast that your lives exhibit the life of the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. May the cross of Christ remind you always that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And God bless.